Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Heavyweights Podcast. In one corner, standing at six foot three, two hundred ninety pounds of solid chicken wings, Dustin Urban. And this corner at six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds, the one, the only, Big Daddy Nick Klein. Welcome back to another episode of the Heavyweights Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Klein, and joining me as always is Dustin Urban. We've also got a special guest in this week that kind of just never goes away, Josh Reeves. I don't yeah. know how special of a guest he is at this <laughs> when point. When he's coming he's, back at this yeah, school. He's <laughs> always here. I guess he's just on the show at this point. Yeah. It's the heavyweights and the dumbbell. So, my biggest thing here is we have another big episode this week. We do have some news to get to, but we have J.J. Stankovitz on from NBC Sports Chicago. So, any Bears fans out there, you're going to love this episode. Tune in for that. I know we announced last week we were hoping to have Seattle on. That's got pushed back a week. Scheduling conflicts, you know, stuff happens. Deal with it. Thank God J.J. was able to come on. You think you're going to love it. Expect big things out of the Bears this year. But we actually had some news again that wasn't just COVID-related this past weekend. It wasn't a player getting arrested. We actually had something bad happen to the Patriots. Of course, you know, a couple hours later, it was tuned into they have good news. But the Patriots mm-hmm. basically had their tape gate 1.0, spy gate 2.0, whatever right. you want to call it. They've been fined $1.1 million. They lose their third-round pick next year because they filmed on the sidelines the Bengals and the Browns games. No matter how you look at this, New England was in the wrong. I know they can sit there and say they were doing it for a film production. for the new. They had to get permission. They were doing it illegally. We know Belichick. He knows what to say. By not saying anything in press conferences and then saying behind closed doors. He never met that motherfucker. He knows the rules more than anybody else. He knows what he can and can't get away with. But something had to be done here. And I'm surprised it wasn't a little heavier. Maybe a second round pick and the fine would have been a little more. Because $1.1 million is nothing to an NFL franchise. It's nothing. Even if they would have just did it. Kraft was probably paying that for the massages he was getting down in Florida. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's my initial thought on it. I don't know if you guys got anything else. I don't have anything big on it. I don't think it was the biggest issue in the world. I mean, it's still cheating. The way, oh, I, I, it wasn't as way. severe as it was last time. And, yes, it needed to be addressed. And, you know, they just didn't sweep it under the rug, thank God. Well, they didn't need to lose, you know, suspensions of players and stuff or anything. The but, only thing I can say is the timing of their our next topic when they signed Cam Newton totally – erased most people even knowing about this Patriots fine. So we had on a couple weeks ago, we talked about Cam Newton's possible destinations. My two were New England and Pittsburgh. I still thought Pittsburgh would have been a good option, but now he's the clear-cut starter. He only got $1.7 million in base guaranteed, up to $7 million in incentives. New England, to me, is now the team to beat in the AFC East. I'm sorry. The New England's defense is still going to be there. They're still going to be elite. Yeah, they are. They're going to have a better run game. Isaiah Wynn's going to be back. Hopefully, you know, he'll solidify that tackle spot and stay healthy this year. They don't need Cam to be Cam of 2015 or even two years ago, but if he, they can get 75 to 80% of this man, they are going to be the team to beat in this division. As long as he's healthy, they're golden. Yeah, and I think he would. Belichick wouldn't have brought him in if he didn't think he was healthy. Now, he might have taken a, a flyer on him just in case Stenham doesn't work out, but Stenham's not the answer. He's we, not we know starting. That. He's not starting. No, there's no way in hell he's starting, but I'm saying just in case Stenham didn't work out and you know Cam was hurt and he had to – String him along. You don't want to throw Hoyer in there. He's, We've all seen that. Hoyer's shit. not even on their team. He's still a no, he, no, yeah, he's he on the team. He's on their team. Okay. Who cares about Hoyer? But <laughs> yeah. he's got to get some time in with Edelman. That's the leading man back. Um, they've got Hogan still. Harry, uh, 
whatever the fuck. Keneal Harry, he'll be in his second year. I like him. Sanu's apparently ahead of his ankle surgery, like ahead of all the rehab and everything. I still think, though, this, to me, puts them into the top ten in the league, and they will be a contention to be in the AFC to win this the AFC. Just because, one, it's Bill Belichick, the defense is still going to be there, and you just gave him a top 15 quarterback. I had him around 500 without Cam Newton. So with Cam Newton, I think that adds at least one to two wins at minimum, depending on what we see from him You know, going into the season. As long as he can stay healthy, man, the sky's the limit for them. I had him at 6-10 and 10 with Cam. I think we're going to see about a 9-7, and seven, I think, around in there, I believe. Um, like I said, it covers up the fine that they did. And I think the reason why they didn't get fined that uh, bad is because they spied on the shitty Bengals and Browns. Yeah. I think it was just the time. <laughs> you still can learn no matter how shitty these teams are, no matter what you want to get. Right. If you want to see the competitive edge, it still takes away from the fucking game. You know? Yeah. Well, they should have spied on Pittsburgh and Baltimore if you're going to do it within the division. Well, I mean, that they might be one of the teams you would – Look, they're probably trying to see what they can get away with, and then you know I don't know what they were doing. I'm not it's over. I don't care about that. I'm yeah. just more pumped. Well, I'm not pumped, but Cam's finally somewhere he needed to be months ago. You know, Chicago should have taken a hard look at him. They never did. San Diego should have taken well, L.A. Now the Chargers should have taken a hard look at him. The Charger or the Jaguars could have, but they're in full tank mode. They don't have really any weapons for him. They're going to ride Minshew Mania. There's so many teams that should have taken that a look sh- at Cam Newton. Yeah, I still believe Pittsburgh would have been. You can't guarantee Roethlisberger stays healthy all 16 games. Do you want him to? Of course. Like, I'd still take Roethlisberger over Cam Newton right now just because of the longevity of his career. But you are going to have, it seems to be two to three games a year that Roethlisberger is out. You've got a great backup in there. But now New England's got their starter for all 16 games as long as Newton's leg and shoulder or foot and shoulder are okay. I, I don't know about... I think he's in the best situation possible. I don't. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. I just don't like Cam Newton as a backup because unless it's a Ben Roethlisberger type, because if it's a young quarterback, you're gonna have him behind that. You know that young guy, and all every time he has a bad game, every time he throws an interception, it's gonna be. You know, some fans are gonna be like, "When are we gonna bring in Cam Newton?" Or the name's just bigger than the position. So I don't, I don't think it ever worked out for him to go. You know, the backup quarterback's job is to get the starter ready and be there. And I don't think Cam Newton would have been great at that. No. And an underlying story in all this, too, is a lot of people don't know. Cam Newton studies the game. He watches a shit ton of film. And then Josh McDaniels, whether you like him or not, with what he did to Indianapolis, you know, the rumors of how Hardy's deal with the out and going out of Denver and I think how we he acted. Won that one as Indy. But he is a hell of an offensive coordinator. We saw what he's able to do with Tim Tebow who couldn't throw the ball to save his life. Cam was getting better the last couple of years. His completion percentage was skyrocketing two years ago. Set a career, I think he was around 66%. McDaniels just opened up his entire playbook because no matter how you look at it too, Brady last year didn't have the same arm strength. They didn't have the weapons. Cam can still move in this pocket, and his arm strength is still there. Yeah, I, if he starts all year, look, over under 10 rushing touchdowns, I'm taking the over. Yeah, yeah. personally. Sony Michelle struggles inside the five yard line. I mean, he had a down year last I mean, year anyway. I don't like they give the ball to Rex Burkhead way too much if you ask me anyway. So why wouldn't you give it to Cam? Cam Newton also is familiar with dumping the ball off. He had Christian McCaffrey right. last year and two years ago. James White's third in the league in the last three years in receptions by a running back. So yeah. it's gonna be a great fit. Mostly because Cam's that good and you can adapt your playbook around it. But I think Josh McDaniels having that familiarity, what he did in Denver 
with Tim Tebow and everything that he's always able to do. And that was mid-season as well. Like, yeah. People forget Kyle Orton started half that fucking season. Yeah. And then Tebow Mania took off and they made that playoff run and beat the Steelers. Like That was a hell of an adjustment mid-season by right. Josh McDaniels. Give him – they don't have a lot of – like as much time as you would want, but give him you know the few months we have before the season – they could be very dangerous. Yeah, that, that transitions us into the next thing is the COVID situation. Training camps are likely going to get pushed back. You hope not. But most places are going to end up going to their own facility. I know, like, the Colts are going to be doing it at their complex. The Bears ran out with all of that universities who they had their training camp with the last 18 years. They're going to be back at um, one of their halls and their complexes, uh, House Hall, I believe. It makes sense, man. Why put yourself in You're risk? likely going to go down from four preseason games to two. That brings in also the question, do you really need 90 players there just because you don't have that much film to see them? Coaches would say yes. Yes, but here's my thing. So you're going to have these players have to go into self-quarantine when they report to camp. Absolutely. What happens when you say you have an offensive lineman test positive? Does that mean for the next two weeks you have the – other offensive linemen going to self quarantine as well, which means you don't do it. It all depends on the. That's a very intricate part that the NFL hasn't talked about yet. I think mostly though, because MLB and the NBA haven't started yet. You see that players are testing positive, they're starting to report for their respective seasons. And I think the NFL is just going to kind of hold off on this and see how it's going and then make their adjustments and do it better like they usually do everything else. Because a few players have been coming out and asking, you know, what is the game plan going forward with that? Just what Nick said, like, they want to know what to expect, and the NFL hasn't given them anything. No. Is it the NFL, like, um, allowing the teams to, like, come up with their own game plan? For, for right now. For reporting, so, too, yes, because yeah. that's based off your state. So, Indiana, Indiana, the Colts players could have all their players here, but Ballard and Reich decided they love what the Indianapolis Colts are doing. They've got the team chemistry going with these Zoom meetings and everything. Granted, can you do as much as you could when they were in complex, when you're getting these rookie mini camps, the OTAs? No, but it's something for now. New Orleans Saints, they canceled all their off-season workouts. Sean Payton said, spend time with your family, but just make sure you come in in shape. So you're going to have these reports coming in late next month saying, oh, this player showed up 20 pounds overweight. or just." And it's going to be a very slow process and start to this season. Defenses will have a better advantage for a lot longer than we usually see. You won't see the inflated numbers on offense this year, I think, that we've been used to seeing the last couple of years. Another thing that's going on right now is the players union is working on, you know, what they can do if a player gets COVID, you know, if they can, if, or if it breaks out again, like, will the players get paid for the full season? Like, how is that going to work out? You know, is there some sort of insurance policy? That's all yet to be seen. Yeah. They're, they're working on the NFL with the NFL right now for all that crazy stuff that, we, you know, as fans, we don't think about right off the top of our head. Well, you could, they're doing that because look what the MLB is going through right, right. now. And, you know, and it's a great uh, question by the players to ask, you know, like, are we going to get paid or not? Right. They'll get paid. Um, right now, the only thing we can do is we can wait and see what I think we really need to see what the NBA and MLB do. We can talk more about that a little bit each week, but like we have been. But that it seems to be the consensus right now. We're going to have two preseason games, the normal four. There's going to be some adjustments this year. Maybe we don't get fans in the stands until October, November, or not at all this year. It'll be definitely weird. The home We'll talk about the home field advantage with that later because that's going to go out the window just because so many states. But let's get into Bears talk. We've got JJ coming up on the other side of our, our commercial. The Bears 
went from 13 and three to the, I think the from the two seed in the NFC two years ago to missing the playoffs last year. They got off to a very slow start. People forget that the defense kicked it around later part of the year. Yeah, they peeped and rallied towards the end. But. That defense held them together. Mitchell Trubisky's not the answer. They trade for Nick Foles. Foles is going to be the week one starter. At least that's what me and you have said all offseason. Right. Reeves, you believe that Trubisky, baby. Trubisky will not be the starter. My only, thing is, my only thing is you don't make that move. And then... Just on, don't make that move. Nick no, Foles hold on. Is, you don't make that move and then on top of it, decline his fifth-year option. You don't yeah. do that and then expect him... Everything, and you'll hear in this interview, every especially the people listening at home, everything is set up for Nick Foles to, to win this job. If everything is working it, against Trubisky. Give me Trubisky. week two or week three. Nick Foles is sure the hell not the answer. If I mean, they Trubisky, don't have a very good offensive line. He could easily go down with an injury, but nobody can – you can't predict that it kind of It sounds like Kyle so, Long wants to come on back, too. There's uh, been rumblings around. That would be good for them. But, uh, no, he doesn't want to go back to Chicago because they rubbed him the wrong way. They right. play in a tough division. They've got they to do. deal with Green Bay – Minnesota. 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 And, slouch. And we'll I wouldn't see, say slouch, but they can beat you. Matt Stafford can beat you. Matt Stafford on any given week can show up and have, you know, 500 yards, four touchdowns like we've seen him do. The defense has got to be a little more gelled. You know, they've got to be able to get after the the pat, the quarterback a little bit more this year. Von, or uh, not Von Miller. Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack's got it. He had a down year. For I wouldn't Khalil say down Mack, year, just more Khalil double Mack. teams. You know, I'm they didn't saying. have another edge rusher on the other side from that, that was year. That Yeah. Mack. So, they come out of the gates, they're at Detroit, and they got the Giants and Lost. the Falcons. They could easily start off 3-0 or even 4-0 because they play the Colts at home and outside. The Colts traditionally don't travel well to Chicago. They flat out don't. You know, they've got to play Tampa Bay, the Saints this year, um, the Houston Texans, Tennessee Titans, both playoff teams last year. They've got a tough schedule, but... Looking right now, even with Foles in there, because of the defense, seven to nine wins here, you get nine wins, you're in the playoffs. Maybe. Maybe? Maybe in that. Maybe. Maybe at nine wins, because we don't know. You know what I mean? They're, you don't know how this third wild card is going to That's what I'm saying. Uh, there could be a fucking, you know, the, the NFC West might have two fucking 11 win, you know, over 11 win I teams. Do one of them is I'm just saying, you, we don't know how it's going to play out, but easily, the Bears should be in the running. I think they'll be around nine, seven and be right there. But Their overall roster is good enough to win. They're just not good enough to win at the highest level without a good quarterback. And we've talked about it all every time we've ever brought up the Bears. The, the biggest issue is what are they going to get out of that quarterback position? No matter who's starting, you can argue who you want in there. What are they going to get out of quarterback is the biggest factor for I mean, them. You could say that until you go back to what, Sid Luckman? or uh, Right, but you know what I mean. Though. That's been the Bears' whole history. Even McMahon wasn't that great of a quarterback. No. The yeah. defense. He was serviceable. He, he was serviceable. Jay Cutler was serviceable to get to their two NFC championship. Then he refused to even like try to get back on the field. Right. They've had issues there in the past, and it just seems to be a revolving door. They've got to get their guy. Nagy, though, they're going in on this. They're coping fools. They've got the familiarity there. Let's just jump right into the interview with J.J. Stankovitz. Joining us now is J.J. Stegemans of NBC Sports Chicago and a co-host of Under Center Podcast covering the Chicago Bears. J.J., thanks for coming on. Yeah, for sure, guys. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, no problem. Um, normally, we would you know, want to jump in on some of the bigger news that have happened lately with the Bears, but obviously with this whole COVID situation, there has been some news. It's almost better, though, if some of these teams have stayed quiet, unlike what we've seen in the Giants and everything. But we'll just jump back a few months with the draft and free agency being over with the Chicago Bears. We'll start with the draft. I think a lot of people didn't see them going 
with Colmet that early in the second round, but I still love that pick. What was the overall perception of what you took away from Nagy's third draft with the Bears? Yeah, I think you were kind of right about that, that, you know, some people thought Cole Komet wasn't going to be as high of a draft pick as he was with the Bears taking him at 43, but he fits what Matt Nagy really has lacked since he got to Chicago, and that's a, a reliable Y tight end, a guy who can be the yeah. inline in Matt Nagy's offense, who can run block, who can go run routes, be that kind of big matchup nightmare. The Bears have not had that, and if you look at the Eagles and Chiefs offenses, which are the, you know, the closest to what Matt Nagy runs in Chicago coming from the Andy Reid tree. The Eagles were number one in the NFL last year using 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field. The Chiefs were fifth. And obviously that's because they have some great tight ends there with Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, Travis yeah. Kelsey. But those two offenses are able to use two tight ends really well. The Bears have not been able to do that because they just have not had the personnel to do it. What they think they have in Komet, as well as Jimmy Graham now, is two tight ends who they can rely on to be on the field. It doesn't mean that they, they need to catch 50 balls for 800 yards. Right. But just reliable tight end play is something the Bears have not had from multiple players since Matt Nagy got to Chicago. And I, I think it could open up a completely different dimension of this Bears offense, given how, you know, you see how the, the Chiefs and Eagles use it. So I think for the Bears, Cole Komet makes a lot of sense. You could call him a reach, but ultimately, you know, when you get to the second round, the difference between the guy picked at 43 and 75 is really not all that different. So, you know, I think the Bears probably made a good pick here. Uh, my concern about Komet, though, is rookie tight ends always have a steep learning curve when they get to the NFL. Komet has not been able to participate in any on-field work with in-person coaching, obviously, because of the COVID pandemic. So I wonder if he might be a little bit behind the eight ball when he gets to training camp just because he's missed out on some of those practices. No, I, I completely get that. I think the only way you could try to look at it in a positive standpoint is every other rookie has that. Now, tight ends do have an extremely steep learning curve, you know, so quarterbacks, we know some positions do, but I still think getting him there in that second round, like you said, the difference between the 43rd and 75th isn't that much difference. I still think he's a day one starter. A lot of people had him going in the first round, but I just – he dropped or whatever we had some needs, but you know, a lot of people just automatically assume Nagy was going to go wide receiver in this draft. And he didn't address it. I think until the sixth or seventh round, maybe the fifth, fifth I, round. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't pull that big money in free agency. They went out and got Robert Quinn paid him 70 million over five years. You know, you got Graham on the two year deal, which Graham's not what he was a few years ago. They didn't really address receiver at this spot. What do you think going forward is, was the reasoning for that in the draft and free agency not trying to target another playmaker? Well, I, I think what the Bears saw was the needs elsewhere on this roster. They they went into the offseason with, obviously, their number one need at quarterback. But yeah. they also had needs at wide receiver, tight end, right guard, edge rusher, cornerback, and safety. So, <clears throat> you know, and, and I should say inside linebacker, inside linebacker because Danny Trevathan was going to be an impending free agent. So they yeah. had quite a few needs and you can't address all of those needs with, you know, the, the meager amount of cap space that they had and then the, the meager amount of draft capital they had. But I kind of like what they did at wide receiver though, where, you know, they, they let Taylor Gabriel go that saved them four and a half million dollars against the cap this year. 
They go out and replace him with a couple guys who are just fast. In Darnell Moody, their fifth-round pick uh, out of Tulane, a guy who's had whose tape looks really good for a yeah. guy who just has speed and that one trait. Um, and then they, they signed Ted Ginn, who at 35, everyone in that building maintains he's got the same speed he had 13 years ago when he was a rookie. And while I'm kind of like, oh, I'll see it to believe it, you know, Ted Ginn also did torch the Bears secondary for a 45-yard catch last year when he was with the Saints. So I have seen it. I kind of do believe it, that, that Ted Ginn still is fast. And if the Bears can just get a, a guy to replace Gabriel who can legitimately stretch the field, that will free up so much in this offense. It should help out the run game and getting the box to be less loaded. It should help out Allen Robinson to have some more room to operate. It should help out the tight ends to have a little bit more room. It'll just help the entire offense because while Gabriel, Taylor Gabriel is a good player uh, in Chicago, but he didn't have the kind of downfield impact I think the Bears might have been hoping for. And because of some issues with the quarterback, he didn't have the run after the catch ability that I think the Bears were also hoping for. So kind of a bad situation. Then Gabriel had a bunch of concussions last year, unfortunately. That has you know kept him out of the NFL so far. He's not even on a roster right now. But I, I like what they did in kind of going cheap to address speed there. I thought I was with you guys. I thought the Bears were going to take a wide receiver, though, in the second round, given the depth of that class. Um, I think I mocked Chase Claypool to them, the, the guy out of Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, there are a number of guys who they, they could have targeted with that pick that would have probably been received as a good pick. But going with Komet at 43, then Jalen Johnson at 50, I think they did a pretty good job uh, with their resources at those two picks. Yeah, I love Jalen Johnson's film and everything. I thought, you know, getting that corner, that value there, him still there at 50. I think any other years, injury history and everything, he would have been a little higher. I don't think too many people can knock those picks, though. I mean, they got to get on the field and play it out, and then we'll see if there are bad picks down the line. But they drafted need, and I think that's what you do right there. But, you know, you got Allen Robinson at, as your number one wide receiver. I personally think he's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the game right now. But uh, what sticking to the position battles, who do you think is going to have the biggest position battle going into the camp, not named Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky? So the one I'm looking forward to the most is at right guard, which is not going to be the sexiest competition. Uh, <laughs> and there's a line battle. It's not exactly, you know, headline material, but, the Bears have – I really question if the Bears addressed their need for a right guard properly this offseason. They went out and signed Jermaine Effetti, uh, who had played tackle for the last couple of years with the Seahawks. He started his career as a guard. They like Effetti's upside kicking back inside the guard, but they didn't really commit a lot of money to him. And with offensive line, sometimes you get what you pay for. And he will compete with Rashad Coward, who's a converted defensive lineman, he played a little bit last year, um, and he's got good athleticism and good size for the position, but is still very raw. And I, I covered so I covered Notre Dame before I covered the Bears, and I got to know Harry Heastan there, who was the Bears' offensive line coach, 2018-2019. And I just doubt that like if Harry couldn't have developed Rashad Coward into a legit NFL offensive lineman. I don't know if anyone can. 
and the Bears went out and hired Juan Castillo to be their new offensive line coach. And it's, what it feels like is that the Bears bet on a new coach being the thing that improves their offensive line, not necessarily personnel. But <laughs> if a Fetty comes out and has a really strong preseason and looks like a guy who's got, you know, first-round talent that was untapped in Seattle because he mostly played outside, which he maybe is less comfortable with than playing inside, then Jermaine Fetty could be a really great signing. But that's one I'm really going to be looking for because the Bears' offensive line is—it's just kind of fine. It's not—it's not great. It's not good. I think it's just kind of fine. And I don't know if fine wins you a Super Bowl or wins you a conference. I think fine can get you to the playoffs. But if Jermaine Effetti or Rashad Coward turns out to be better than that, that might improve the rest of the offensive line to the point where they could have a championship-level offensive line. I don't know, but I kind of doubt it. But that is going to be the, the one position I'm really going to be keying in on during training camp. Yeah, I think the last few years watching Effetti out in Seattle, the first thing that comes to mind every time I was watching him struggle was why haven't they bumped him down inside? You see it so many times with some of those tackles that don't feel comfortable in that space but you bump them into the interior and they end up being a good player. They weren't the elite first round, but I think of Fetty can still be a week in week out day start day one starter for Chicago, which needs their offensive line to improve because we know the, the quarterback situation. You have Mitchell Trubisky, you trade for Nick Foles, you bring him in. If you had to go right now, even though we haven't had these offseason workouts, who do you believe is going to be the week one starter? Nick Foles. Um, okay. I, I, I just, think Foles has less to do than Mitch Trubisky has to do to win the job. Um, I, I think Nagy, Matt Nagy has this pre-existing relationship with Nick Foles dating back to their days in Kansas City. Yeah. Um, and John DiFilippo obviously has worked with Nick Foles quite a bit. He won a Super Bowl with him in Philadelphia, was the OC of the Jaguars last year. And Bill Lazor, the Bears' new offensive coordinator, also worked with Nick Foles and he started his career out in Philadelphia. So there's this trust that I think the Bears, the Bears coaching staff has in Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky has to overcome uh, what just has to be mistrust in that Matt Nagy has had a front row seat to Mitch Trubisky's ups and downs, more downs than ups over the last two years. And Mitch not only has to beat out Nick Foles to win the job, but he's got to prove to Matt Nagy specifically that what has gone on the last couple of years are not what is going to happen in 2020. Because if it is, then Mitch is going to lose his job at some point during the season. And the Bears offense is going to be worse for it because Matt Nagy knows they have to get out to a strong start this year, given that they didn't have an identity last year because they started so poorly. So I just, I think there's so much working in Foles' favor, not, not to mention the contract stuff where Foles is guaranteed 24 million. Mitch only has about a little about, I think it's 9.2 million left on his rookie deal. He has no, uh, contractual certainty after this year after the Bears declined his fifth year option. So I think everything points toward Foles, but I will say guys, the best case scenario for the Bears is that Mitch wins the job, that he wins it outright. He turns out to be the guy they thought they were getting three years ago and they traded for Foles for basically nothing. If that happens, that is the best case scenario for the Bears. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, just a wasted draft pick at that point. But if Trubisky turns around and just has a complete turnaround of a season, not like where he's been training the last few years, I don't think you'll find anybody in Chicago that's going to want to complain because the way the Bears ended last season, the defense came around. 
you saw them improving week after week, and they were kind of a forgotten team that finished, you know, in the middle of the pack. Going into this season, you got another second year under Chuck Pagano. You know, he's been there. I know you lost Fangio going into last year, but the defense still should be elite. Do you expect the Bears this season to compete for that one of those three wild card spots or still for the division with Green Bay? I do. Uh, I, I think they're going to be in that mix because, what you said, their defense is so good. And I think the addition of Robert Quinn will make this defense – it's going to look like a different great defense um, than they had in 2018 where a lot of those sacks they're getting that year were coverage-based. This year I think they can really get after a quarterback in a way we haven't seen because Leonard Floyd couldn't beat his one-on-one matchup. Someone did pass rush. Robert Quinn can do that. Um, I, I think that defense is going to be good enough to get the Bears into the playoffs, maybe as the seventh seed. Uh, defense only gets you so far in the NFL. You have to have the quarterback. You have to have the right offense. But, yeah, I, I would expect the Bears to make the playoffs this year. Just they, They're they set up to do it, except at quarterback. <laughs> and that that is, of course, very concerning, and is why I don't think uh, you know I'm picking the Bears to make the Super Bowl, let alone even the NFC Championship game. But I think they have enough to make the playoffs, and, and especially an extended, uh, an expanded playoffs. I think they they have a shot at that. So, with those you know expected quarterback issues, possibly, do you think they're going to lean heavier on the run game this year? You know, can they get back to what they did a few years ago? Or uh, <laughs> that's kind of the big issue around Chicago is that they they don't lean on the run game enough with Matt Nagy. Um, yeah, it, it all comes down to trust. And Matt Nagy, last year especially, just did not trust his run game, which made trading up to draft David Montgomery look a little bit worse than we thought it was going to be. We thought David Montgomery was going to be the solution to all of Matt Nagy's run issues. It turned out he was not for pretty much no fault of his own. The Bears have a good running back in Montgomery. He is a solid, tough runner, kind of guy you can give 270, 300 carries to in the season, and he's going to grind out the yards you want. You've got to trust him, and you have to trust the blocking and the scheme. And Matt Nagy last year did not trust the blocking nor the scheme. So if the Bears are able to lean on the run a little bit more, that will probably be because their offense is better, not because Matt Nagy is just kind of reflexively doing it. Passing is in Matt Nagy's DNA, and I think, you know, he's in a position where he feels like, the the run game he, the run game has to earn his trust and that means that the scheme whether it's you know him helping design it or if it's Clancy Barone the tight ends coach Juan Castillo the O line coach we're going to have a big hand of that as well as Bill Lazor the new offensive coordinator um, or on the other hand if like David Montgomery just gets so good you can't stop giving him the ball but uh, you know it, it's a constant thing around Chicago where if the Bears aren't running the ball it's a problem. And it, Matt Nagy has not shown a willingness to really commit to the run and then build plays off of those running plays. Um, if he does that this year, again, it's, it's probably because the Bears' offense is better, not necessarily because he has renewed his commitment to the run. Okay. I mean, that you said Nagy doesn't trust really the blocking last year. That's why you didn't see Montgomery use it up. My thing is with that, is that what played a factor in Tyreek Cohen? Basically, he's taking a step back last year, not seeing the ball as much, not utilize what we were used to two years ago where he was all over the field. I mean, I think he had over 1,100 total yards between rushing and receiving. And then last year just kind of fell flat from what we, what everybody, I think, expected from him. So you think that played more into 
his play last year, or was it something that we saw in his game that Nagy just kind of took him off the field? No, the the issue with Tariq last year was, I think, first and foremost, and this is going to go back to the playoff game against the Eagles, where the Bears lost Trey Burton kind of out of nowhere right before that game. And Eagles were able to scheme their defense to shut down Tariq Cohen without a tight end who the Bears could rely on. The Bears last year had no tight ends they could rely on at all at any point during the season, and Tariq Cohen had a down year. His yards per touch was down over two and a half yards from where it was in 2018. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that this Bears offense, without a reliable tight end, at least one, really kind of gets stuck in the mud and spins its wheels and isn't able to create the matchup, uh, the favorable matchup that led to Tariq Cohen having such a great year in 2018. And I, I think that was one part. The second part was coaching in that, you know, Tariq told us a couple weeks ago when he was on the field, you know, when he would line up in the slot, it was almost always over a DB. And when he would line up in the backfield, he was all linebackers he was getting hit by. And there was just no sign that the Bears had figured out how to get those favorable matchups back. There, there was no counter coaching counterpunch to teams saying, we're going to try to cover up Tariq. That, that didn't happen. And then thirdly, you know, Tariq had kind of a down year himself. He had six drops. That was, I think he had three his entire first two years in the league. Um, you know, he, his, he was running east and west a little bit too much. Um, it was not a good year for him in a vacuum, but it would have been a better year if he got a little bit of help. Right. And I think this year with him, it's a contract year for Cohen, so there's a lot on the line for him. Um, he's, he's a guy who I think now has become kind of – he's become the veteran in that room, which is kind of funny to think, um, given it feels like just yesterday he was debuting for the Bears. But right. he's still a really good player who's got a lot of explosiveness and just natural feel for the game. He's a hard worker. He's got a really high football IQ. He's got everything you want. You know, obviously, maybe the size is a little, little on the smaller side, but I think I think he'll be fine as long as the rest of the offense around him can kind of figure some stuff out. Yeah, I'm interested to see what he does this year as well. Um, I do this to all our guests, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but who do you think is who is your dark horse team to make the playoffs this year? If not the Bears, where would you go? Whew, oh, that's a good question. Are the Cardinals a dark horse? or are yeah, they too yeah. Everybody, just because of the way they ended last year, I mean, we, they still, what, finished four wins? So Yeah, that's who I picked, too. So uh, You know, I, I think the, the the NFC West is awesome. I think the Rams are probably the worst team in that division. Mine, uh, I think, where they were at two years but ago. If, if, let, let, me, let me think about a, a real dark horse here. Um... How about the New York Jets? Okay. That that they are they are a dark horse in that if you think Sam Darnold can figure it out in year three, yeah. um, I, I I liked some of the things I saw from him last year, but uh, man, Adam Gates, he's the reason why they're they're a dark horse because you're you would make the playoffs with a bad coach. <laughs> Yeah, I, my thing is too. I mean, I can see the Jets, especially if Darnold steps it up. But 
the whole Jamal Adams situation doesn't make management or even Adams side look good right now. And it, you don't even know if he's going to start the season with him. So with me, if Adams isn't, which is the best player on their team, if he's not there week one, you've got some major problems on defense. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you force Jamal Adams out, uh, then you probably, you're not going to make the playoffs. Well, I like that pick. I mean, it's, you're the first one to pick the Jets. We had someone the other week try to vouch for the Dolphins, but I definitely like the Jets. Pick I, I, hey, I, Brian Flores, by the way, Brian Flores, should have won Coach of the Year last yes, year. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I and you, all you hear about is how every player down in Miami loves him, and he's just a player's coach. Yeah, you can tell they're turning it around. I just still think they're another year or two away. Yeah, I agree. I think they're another year away. I just don't think they have the weapons right now to get where they need to be. Yeah, I mean they're they, they probably don't have the horses on that team, but. Uh, I, I really like what they've done, and I think it's it's going to be fascinating because if they can pull this thing off, if they can pull off the fish tank and they can become a, a yearly contender, yeah, uh, I think it might, it might turn some teams' attention to tanking uh, in a way that the Browns never have been able to do. Right. And like, I look at a team like the Bears, who are really close to being caught just in the middle of the NFL, that team that's never good enough to win a Super Bowl, but never bad enough to get a top pick. Right. And that's a really bad place to be. That is that is where you wind up being irrelevant as a, a franchise for a while and providing no hope to your fans. And I think that there's something to be said for committing to the tank. You know, I think – Teams need to see it work first, kind of right. like we saw in baseball with the Astros and the Cubs, where it worked for them, and now everyone's doing it. Um, right. I think teams need to see it work in the NFL, and the Dolphins kind of need to pull it off. But they've got the right coach. They've got the right GM. They've got really smart people in that organization who I think can can pull it off. They just gotta, now they've got to contend with Cam Newton in that division and finish yeah. probably third in the Patriots and Bills. I, I think the Patriots with that move today probably just won the AFC East already. The Buffalo's going to find a way to screw it up, and then you've got that. But I know you said like the Bears are in this dead zone of they're good enough to win, not bad enough to lose, to where they're in that like almost like a purgatory where they're just floating because they don't have that quarterback. If they get it this year, I do agree with you that defense is too good not to make the playoffs. I think a seventh or eighth seat or that last seventh seat would be almost ideal, but. Let's hope they can figure it out. But, J.J., I can't thank you enough for coming on. For anybody out there that's never heard you before and never found your work, just kind of tell them where to find you on social media and uh, where to find all your work at. Yeah, thank you. You can follow me on Twitter at J.J. Stankovitz. You can read all of my work on the Bears, covering the Bears on NBCSportsChicago.com. You can also get the My Teams app where you can read all of my stuff. And then I'm the co-host of the Under Center podcast with my good friend Lawrence Holmes. Uh, at NBC Sports Chicago. We have two pods every week covering the Bears. Um, I got one dropping on Monday. I talked with Chris Sims. He had some uh, spicy things to say about the Bears quarterback situation in the NFC North. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun working where I do. It's a lot of fun covering the Bears. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. And it was fun joining you guys. No, nah, man, we really appreciate it. We hope to have you on some other time. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Be well, guys. I'd like to thank Anchor for sponsoring us, like always. And again, thank you to JJ Stankovitz of NBC Sports Chicago and Under Center Podcast for joining us. A couple big things. You know, the first thing I, I throw out there is 
we know that their draft was a little sketchy. Everybody can say, you know, they don't have the first round pick. That's fine. The second round, a lot of people can say it's a reach for Colmet. JJ brought it up very bluntly that what Nagy likes to do is use those two tight end sets almost more than anyone in the league. And they didn't have that reliability last year. Once Trey Burton got hurt, they didn't have a blocker there to give Trubisky protection. You bring in Colmet, who can at least serviceable block, and Jimmy Graham's not terrible. You can get these two tight end sets, get chips better because their offensive line's not going to be there. Right. It, it will. It's not going to be worse in the league, but it's not going to be good. Not great is what it's he not said. Be in top what JJ team. said it was it be fine. Yeah. Over and over, he just said the words fine. They've got to get more out of Terry Cohen, which he said. You know, he had drop issues last year. I think he had five drops, six drops, something career high. Career. Well, he had more three than he going had in his, his career, first yeah. two years. It's a contract year. You know, Nagy didn't trust the run last year. I think that was my biggest takeaway. He said he didn't trust the run, so you didn't see more out of David Montgomery, who a lot of us liked coming out. You didn't see Cohen using those different sets and everything. He didn't trust it because they couldn't get the blocking schemes down, and so he always wants to pass first. You set up the pass by getting the run. He's just a little reverse, which is fine. It can work. It's just they didn't have the personnel for it last year. Absolutely. David Montgomery is going to be a decent back in this league for sure. He just needs the blocking. Right, the one-two punch with Montgomery and Cohen, but I mean, it seemed last year, where the hell was Cohen? I mean, I, I just didn't think they he underused made, him. He tried running a little east and west too much, is what JJ said. But you're just going to blow over the simple standpoint that he said week one he will not be the starter. It is Foles' job. Foles has familiarity with Nagy, with that entire offensive playbook. He knows it. He was there with them in Philly and then Nagy in Kansas City. It is going to be his job. The best, the worst case scenario out of all of this is that, what do you say? He said, if Trubisky comes in, starts week one, and has a career year. and something best case. Best case. And then they wasted a third-round pick or whatever they yeah. gave up for Foles. Right. And but I'm not going to argue not, that. No, I'm no, not, not arguing that. that at all. No, I but it's a competition. It, bringing in for Trubisky is a great idea. But it's going to get Trubisky the job, and he's going to have a career Trubisky year. Trubisky will not get the job, nor will he have a career year. You know, I trust someone that works for NBC a little more than you, just because of your eyes test of quarterbacks. He's not wrong. Do we have a bet on this, by the way? No, not Trubisky. No, you might okay. have it on Trubisky. It. It's either that or with someone else. That's <laughs> yeah, not with me. Um, but, you know, the biggest training camp battle, he said, was Jermaine Effetti. And then I can't remember his other name at right left guard, right guard. Yeah, he's because an inverted Infetti, guard. Yeah. Because Infetti, the former first-round pick from Seattle, they're going to bump it down, which I always thought for the last couple of years, bumping down, maybe he'll play a little better inside. He's not a true tackle in this league. He's too awkward in space. You know, Kyle Especially Long. if Nick Foles is a quarterback, that statue back there, you, he can't move like Trubisky. So. No. I mean, Foles can move. He's not a complete rock, but he's yeah, not Trubisky. Yes, right. I get that. You know, they've got one of the best, under most underrated receivers in the league. They've got weapons this year. The offense, if it can just be top 16 in this league. They'll be dangerous. They will be dangerous at any point in this, this season. They can take off one game and – and carry them when the defense can't. Because the defense is still going to be the main piece of this team. Yeah, Chuck Pagano is going to have another year with his playbooks and everything because things changed quite a bit from uh, Vic Fangio. So, you know, I don't disagree with him when I'm saying the playoffs should be expected from the Bears. It should. It should be. I agree with that. He has it on point. They're not good enough to win the NFC yet unless Foles comes out like he did with that run with the Eagles, which I don't think he will. But he's still good enough to get you to the playoffs. Yeah, we'll, I guess we'll just see. Yeah, and then we'll jump into his dark horse of the year. We kind of had a first. He tried going with the Cardinals. Ooh, went with the threw Jets. threw me off. But. He went with the Jets. Smart you know, pick. 
<laughs> if from the Jets fan. Yeah, I have them going on. Their best player is probably not even going to be there week one. He'll be there. He might not Jamal, be there at all. Jamal's coming home. He's he coming might not home. be there at all. So Jamal's not staying. Oh, he's so, staying. They'll offer him twenty million. He's like, okay, I'll come back. And that's it's a bad crazy. move if they offer him twenty million. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm it, not discreet. No, I'm just saying <laughs> long term, that's a bad yeah. move. He'll be looking for sixteen to seventeen a year. And the 49ers are now. Been piping in on that. Every team they don't have that, the money. Every team that could possibly afford him can't. Will be, should will be interested. Be He's interested. that type of player. Yeah. So, thank you again to JJ for coming on. We'll hope to have you back on again later. Any Bears fans out there? Hope you follow him on Twitter. He's got some great pieces. His podcast is really great. Me and Urban listened to it earlier this week. So, let's just jump into the questions of the week. This week, we had one that actually had quite a bit of discussion. This week, we did the top. Wide receivers, the top five of all time. Yeehaw! Damn about them questions a week, Traps. Do you have them questions, then we have them answers. It's time for the questions of the week. Yeah, yeah. All right, so a lot of input this week, Twitter, Facebook, a little texting. There was texting between us three today when we were trying to get our lineup set up for tonight and everything. There was some arguments going on. I just kept looking at my phone and putting it back down. The top five consensus from the fans, all you guys out there, Jerry Rice, consensus number one. That's not a surprise. Randy Moss. And then you had Antonio Brown, Marvin Harrison, and Terrell Owens. And Julio Jones. Julio and Terrell each tied for fifth, so I put them in there. You know, some other names on there that I could see is Larry Fitzgerald, Chad Ochocinco, Michael Thomas is on that career projection right now. He's just got a, at least four more seasons of this elite, elite, insane level of play. Devontae Adams, Calvin Johnson, uh, Stallworth, Santonio Holmes, Heinz Ward. There's a there's a Pittsburgh fan now that I'm reading all this off. And then Donald Driver and Antonio Freeman. We're not going to go into those as much. I have no problem with that. I think a lot of people are going to consensus. Randy Moss and Jerry Rice are probably going to be in everybody's top five. You could Jimmy in their fucking top two. Yes, I, I get that. <laughs> Personally, but, if you don't have To in your top five, I don't want to talk to you. I get, but you can make a case against some other players against To too. You you actually mm-hmm. can, and that's nothing to take away from what To did. This is a position that's a little different, just from the simple standpoint. They didn't throw the ball as much back in the seventies and eighties. Jerry Rice came along; he was the first one to do it. You know, Marvin comes along, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Cole, and then here comes Randy Moss and To. And we just had this explosion. But there were some players from the older ages that I wanted to put in there. And I just I couldn't come to do it on a couple of them. Like Largent from the Seahawks. Great career. Underrated. No one really talks about him. One of the best receivers in the 80s and early 90s. Just there wasn't enough room for me. So we'll start it off. My fifth one is Larry Fitzgerald because of the career longevity. It was really hard to keep him off. It was between him and Calvin Johnson for me. Calvin just retired a little too early for me. I love what he did. He just... Didn't have that long. And I don't think anybody's going to have what Larry's been able to do. He's going to finish top five in almost every single category. But just never. He was for about three seasons. You could argue that he was the top guy. Other than that, you really couldn't. Yeah. I, he, was, I, he was great. I went with, elite. I went with Larry Fitzgerald yeah. at five as well. He That run with him and Kurt Warner when he, they took the fucking uh, Cardinals. Cardinals to the play, or to the Super Bowl. It was just amazing. I mean. That touchdown right before Ben Roethlisberger's drive to you know win the game with that fucking corner catch to San, San Antonio Holmes. That whole playoffs, Larry Fitzgerald made the plays 
that they needed in the time biggest moment to get them there. And that's that's what it's all about, man. That's, that's what he was the same when they ran had those right. couple runs with Carson Palmer a few years later right. too. Yeah, he like you said, the longevity of him and just he's he's just a bad. Look at all the player. quarterbacks he's had to play with too. Outside of Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer, he's been handed guys like Matt Leinart. Why John Skelton was and cool, cool little note. We could go on. He was the ball boy for the minute. A lot of people, some people don't His know dad this, was but a writer. he was a ball boy for the Minnesota Vikings when he was a young or he was in middle school and he hung around with fucking Chris Carter and shit. So, you know, pretty good little teacher there. As long as you didn't pick up any Chris Carter's off the field habits, you're great. Yeah, which is fine. You know, Chris Carter won the better route runners and got better hands. I mean, Fitzgerald, there's nothing he does bad. No. Not a damn thing, and he's been great for years. This will be the first year, I think, in his career, since well, no, since his first or second year, that he won't lead the Cardinals in receiving. Yards. Right. Because I'm, I'm sorry, he's not going to win it this year with Hopkins there. No. no. Okay. So. Do I get it? Yeah, you, you can start off with your. your <laughs> it was Larry Fitzgerald. Okay. Uh, the guy never. The good thing about him, he, it seems that motherfucker never ages. He still looks like damn near the same. From yeah. What so let's go with your fourth. Uh, I'm going with Megatron. I know his career was cut short because he didn't want to play for the shitty Lions no more. Yeah. But I just think what he did in his time with the team was just absolutely incredible. Went up against three guys, go get it. I, I got to go with number four. I mean, I can't argue that. Calvin was tied for to get into fifth for me. So I, I went with T.O. So did I. I Love it. Third all, you know, third all-time in receptions. You know, he's, Second all-time in yards. He's third. Third. Larry just passed. Yeah, Larry just passed. No, he's he's eighth in receptions. I apologize. Yeah, he's, he's a third, little farther down. He's third in touchdowns, which, I mean, it's all about scoring when you're a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, finished one, with 153 touchdowns. Right. finished with 156. Right. I mean, <laughs> no one's catching Rice. And, I mean, he, he did it with some not, like, besides Donovan McNabb, he didn't do it with like the greatest quarter, like besides Jeff Steve, Garcia, was, Steve Young too, I guess in yeah. early years. But I mean, Garcia Jeff Garcia was, was a pro bowler, yeah. but he wasn't he wasn't fucking you know top ten in the league quarterback to me at least any time. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. Romo people overhype, especially Cowboys fans. That's his yeah, quarterback. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Cowboys fans <laughs> will always overhype their quarterback no matter who he is. But I just the shit and. The Super Bowl again, another guy in the Super Bowl. The performance he put on on one fucking leg against the Patriots, he almost won the Eagles that game too. Another guy that almost did it himself. He he's just a bad motherfucker. Well, recovered with a slight ACL, what six weeks or something. He had a broken day. fucking leg. Dude. I thought he tore a little bit of his ACL leg. too. No, he had a broken leg. Don't fucking matter. Came six weeks and right. Put Full healthy to makes it even more, but it dominates that Patriots game even more. Which the, what he was able to do in Scary. that Super Bowl. He t- he turned it on, and so did Moss. Turned it on in the playoffs. That was the only, only year actually. To really like became just took over. Right in the playoffs, he kind of disappeared a little bit. We've seen that famous dropping that catch for San Francisco right. back and in that, his second year. That's the only knock you can have on To. Yeah, the very last one because Steve Young fired it in as hard as he could because he still had the trust in him. You know, and that was when he was still learning from Jerry Rice, who was one right. of the greatest. Of Who all would time. you want to learn from other than Jerry Rice? No one. I right. mean, you could pick and choose the right. I'm but, just saying. Okay. That was my fourth. Let's go with your third, Reese. Because I, I got okay. T.O. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Who's your you third? You went with three? Yeah. T.O.? Okay. Yeah. I went with Marvin Harrison at three. Um, he's he's my favorite player of all time, personally, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. He's just a 
time in and time out, anytime Peyton Manning needed a first down, anytime the Colts needed a touchdown, anytime the Colts needed fucking anything, they were going to Marvin Harrison. And if not, Marvin Harrison was opening it up for whoever else they might be going to. Right, right. Well, or Dallas Carker, whoever, but he's ninth in yards, he's fifth in receptions, and he's fifth in touchdowns. But, I mean, that Colts offense had a lot of weapons, and he wasn't the only – but he was the main priority who they threw to, but he had – there was a lot. They spread the wealth there, but he's just – Yeah, I went with Marvin at number three. I think he kind of gets left behind in the 90s and early 2000s just because of the way T.O. and uh, Randy Moss came along. You know, they had the drama with you know the Dancing on the Star, the mooning for Randy Moss, and then the – Sit right. ups in the drive for T.O. Just stuff like they were outspoken. Marvin was the quiet guy at the end of the bench. You know, never really talked. Never talked really to the press at all. Didn't do interviews unless it was with local media. No off the field problems <laughs> until he retired. Until, you know, he had the reception or the league record for most receptions until Michael Thomas broke it this past year. He retired second all time in receptions. You know, that's eventually going to get passed. But this this guy, I think he's the only one. Thomas has a chance to break it next year. Of I think six straight seasons with at least a hundred receptions and a thousand yards, you know, year in and year out, you knew who the ball was going to, and he was still going to get twelve to thirteen hundred yards, eight to ten touchdowns minimum. And just all those acrobatic catches he made in the back of the end zone, and his footwork on the sidelines in the back of the end zone will never be matched. That and the ability to—that's where Reggie Wayne learned it, to catch the ball in coverage and immediately get down and not get hit. Right, and learn. Hey, I don't really have a lot to gain here, so I'm going to live to fight another day. So, yeah, that, we'll go with that. And then my number two, I think it's all of ours, is Randy Moss. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the greatest deep threat of all time, in my yeah. opinion, or for now at least. And, and then number one's Rice. Yeah. Right. So you just left off Marvin Harrison. He was – it came down between okay. five. It, it was a I knew you were going to leave him off just because I, I just – I figured you would. So T.O. played 219 games. Randy Moss played 218. DeMarvin Harrison's only 190. So you had, I think, 14 years in the league for Moss, 15 for T.O., and Marvin played a whopping 13. So, you know, injuries cut his career right. short, and he was just done. He didn't want to play anymore. Average yards per catch, T.O.'s number one, Moss number two, Marvin's three out of that. But they're all within not even a full yard by .7 of a yard. I believe it. Okay, this is where it gets – out of all three of them, career yards per game, Marvin, 76.7, which is five and a half more yards – than T.O. and almost seven full more yards than Randy Moss, believe it or not. Oh, shit. I thought it would be the other way around right now, there. Now, here's another one. You know, we know that T.O. and Moss are two and three and touchdowns scored, receiving touchdowns. I think you said Marvin's what, now to eighth? He's fifth. Fifth? Okay. Marvin had 128 to so there, 153 and 156. Touchdowns per game, they're all tied at .7. So, if Marvin would have played another two years, I don't, I'm not saying he would have gotten to 153 or 156. He would have been high 140s, low 150s. People just forget constantly because of the way T.O. and Randy were always in the mainstream media. Yeah. So I, I just think Marvin – and I, I could be biased because I'm a Colts fan, but I'm not on this, I don't think, at least. Marvin is one of the greatest he, – He was on the – he's like the Megatron and uh, Larry Fitzgerald type. He was uh, right there for me. It, no, I get it. I just – it's a little more surprising than what you, you would expect. A lot of people – Oh, no, that, that – You just expect the stuff. And, you know, the conversation is always going to come back, well, you had Peyton. Okay, but like we've said, they had Reggie. They had Dallas Clark. They had Edge and James. But that didn't stop that every week still you knew you needed to stop Marvin Harrison double-team. And that's what Bill Belichick always said. You still, no matter what, have to double-team. And he didn't listen one time. I think it was the 2006 season when Marvin burned him for two touchdowns deep 
because you kind of forget how elite this type of player is. And it's just unfortunate just because he's always going to be linked to Peyton. They have the NFL record for most touchdowns between a single quarterback and a receiver. So that's why he's in my top five. I don't think that's ever going to get beat either. Yeah, and I won't have a problem with anybody that ranks T.O. ahead of Marvin or vice versa, but I still think Marvin deserves to be in that top five. And he, it was down to him or Fitzgerald. I just could not – maybe I'm reaching on Megatron – no, I, I totally get Megatron. For nine seasons outside of his rookie year when he only had 700 yards, he was going to get you 12 to 1,300 yards, if not you know, the 1,900-yard season where he broke Jerry Rice's single-season record. But Marvin has a crazy eight straight years with 1,000 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> knowing that you're going to be that number one. And people forget, Reggie Wayne didn't come on until like his third or fourth year. He wasn't yeah. trusted much by Peyton. Mm-hmm. Peyton and him got into it quite a bit. So, you know, that's probably the most discussion we've had with one of these in a while. So... Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the participation. Next week, you know, we might go back to running backs. We already we already did that. Not of all time. We already Not did of all time. No, we did that. I thought time. we did that. Yeah, we, we all time. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, so we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll put it on Facebook. But thank you. So let's just jump right into that. We'll go from that to Would You Rather. Oh, yeah. It's that time of week again where we throw out two blind stat lines and let you pick the player you would rather start. Would you rather? All right, so I didn't do it like we did last week when I took two inflated numbers from career journeyman quarterbacks because you can't really do that with any other position besides quarterback because quarterbacks get more chances than any other position. Absolutely. You don't have inflated receiving numbers unless you were good over a long period of time. So we're going to do a receiver that you'd rather start and have as your number one right now, okay? So, player A has played and started in 110 games. Player B has played in 118, started 97 of them. Both players have been in the league since at least 2012, by the way. So, you're looking at one season, one game. They play now. They play now. Catch percentage of player one is 60.3. Player B is 58.4. Touchdowns, receiving touchdowns in their career. Player A is 54 career. Player B is 45. And then their yards per reception, player A, 13.6, player B, 15.6. That's in the regular season. Part of being one of the better ones in the league is usually you turn it on during the playoffs, right? You guys were talking about it earlier, like Randy Moss would right. have a Super Bowl run with the New England Patriots. You know, he was the guy. It was impossible to stop him that year. We know that. So player B had a 52.3% catch percentage in the playoffs with player A, 60.7. So they each dropped off a little there. Player A only has one career touchdown in the playoffs in six games. Player B has three in seven games. Yards per reception for player A, he's going down, 12.1. Player B steps up to 16.6. Total first downs in the playoffs for player A, 24. Player B, 32. Mind you, player B's only played one more playoff game in his career. So they're almost identical across the board. You Until can pick you and choose. Yeah. You know, they're close within touchdowns. They're close within How many games. games did you say they played at the first? Sorry. Uh, player A is 110 career games out of 110. Player B is 118 career games, started 97 of them. Okay. I'm going with A. Okay. I know his playoffs down, but I feel like he's due for a. Yeah, I, I got to go with A too, man. I, I mean, it seems like he turns it on. Well, but. obviously, A is healthy. All the fucking time. And <laughs> player B didn't start his entire rookie year, but played in all 16 games. Yeah. So there's a little bit minus of the five games out of that. Right. So 
I think we're going with player A. And that's that's fine. That's DeAndre Hopkins. Okay. <laughs> also struggled with quarterback play a lot of his career. Those numbers might be fucking high. He's had to struggle with quarterback play. Well, who's B? T.Y. Hilton, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, but he's had a lot. No, better. he has. No, he has. But you can't say that he hasn't. You know, he got Jacoby Reset for two years. Luck? Matt right. Hasselback, yeah, Josh yeah. Freeman. I'll take Matt T- Hasselback over, like, every quarterback that fucking DeAndre Hopkins had besides uh, yes, but- Watson. Every one of them. Fuck Matt Schaub. Schaub wasn't bad. Yeah, he was bad. Every, every time I seen Matt Schaub fucking being quarterback and the Colts were playing, I was like, holy shit, boys, guess what? Chalk it up. We got to fucking win. Or Olofsky when they were down by 24 points. Right. But I'm no, just, I just saying. I think T.Y. Hill is kind of underappreciated. You know, a lot of people say he's not a number one wide receiver. He's been consistent. He Never really had injury history until this past year when he had a, you know, a freak injury. He turns it on in the playoffs. We know that. He turns it on in primetime games. We've seen it time and time again. Obviously, you're taking DeAndre Hopkins, though. There's no question about it. It was just a little weird when you go, if Hilton would have played a full year, he would still be ahead in receiving yards. Four yards separate these two guys in yeah. career receiving yards right now. They're both right under 9,000. Were they drafted in the same year? No. Hopkins was 2013. T.Y. was 2012. Okay. So. T.Y. So, was a fourth round pick? Third. Yeah, third. Hopkins went in the first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Obviously. Yeah. You know, not a little bad one this week, but uh, it's just a little surprising. I think a lot of people don't realize that TY's numbers are kind of high up there. Well, I think he's a top seven receiver in the league when he's completely healthy. When completely healthy, you could argue top, top ten, I would say completely healthy. Yeah, he, he gets forgotten about a lot. and But like Nick said, it's – been a rough few years for him here Just lately. last year. No, but, like, I mean, with quarterbacks. And I mean, even when Jacoby was there two years ago, you know, both have led the league in receiving at some point, so I think people forget that in 2017, Hilton led the league in receiving with only 1,300 yards. But let's pick brick, uh, pick Nick's brain a little bit here and crack open that six-pack of the week. This is the six-pack of the week. All right, with that first question, who is the last player to win league MVP and Super Bowl MVP in the same season. League MVP and Super Bowl. Man. And this should be easy, and I was just drawing a blank in my goddamn mind. Because it wasn't Mahomes this year. We gotta go back a ways, not a ways ways. No, I know. I'm trying. Peyton never won it. Brady never won his MVP year. Breeze never won MVP, which is surprising. Breeze has never won MVP. No, no, no. I think I know who it is, though. Okay. Shut up. <laughs> this is for Nick. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nice expect now. Not Seattle. Why am I just drawing a blank? Not Pittsburgh. Man, New England never had an MVP besides Brady in the last... John Elway win those last two years MVP? No. I'm going to go with Green Bay just off the top of my head. So, Packers. Well, it's not. No, I, I said who's the player. Um, oh, you said who's the player. Well, if you're going Packers, it would have to be Brett Favre. Well, you could go with Rodgers. He is the one before this. But. <laughs> Rodgers? No, no it's, it wouldn't have been. 
Who is it? It's Kurt Warner in 1999. Okay. So, I mean, close enough. Right, right. You were right. You skipped him. Yeah, I know I did, but I was trying to think. He's like, oh, shit. Did I win the MVP those years? No, Terrell Davis won one year. Actually, Terrell Davis was probably the one right before that. I might be mistaken, too. And I even said it, too. I was like, well, Terrell. Did Terrell win the MVP? Yeah. He ran for 2,000 yards. Yeah. The year they started off 15-0. and Right. the Vikings in the playoffs. All right. During the Super Bowl, at least. Who has the record for most forced fumbles in one game? In one game? Yeah. This has happened in your time of life. No, I get that. How many was it? Four? It is four. But who holds the record? <laughs> no, I get it. Dun, dun. Get some Jeopardy. Music. You know, I'm going to be wrong, but I'm just going to go with the guy who has the most forced fumbles of all time, and I'll just say Robert Mathis. It is no one you would ever fucking believe, and you're going to smack yourself in the head. It's Charles Tillman. Oh, Peanut. Peanut. Okay. Yeah. Peanut. That's when he punched the ball right. out. Right, yeah. yeah. He, he got Panthers. fucking four yeah, yeah. in that game. It was I just crazy. watched a video on that about a little month ago. All right, just a random MVP question. Who was the 2005 league MVP? 2005 season, so it would have been the 2006 Super Bowl. Which, 03 and 04 were Peyton. 2005 would have been Sean Alexander. Yep. Ding, 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 motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and LT won it the next year. Yeah. Back, last last time we'll probably ever see back-to-back running backs win it. The last running back was Adrian Peterson. Right. I'm just saying back-to-back yeah, back running backs yeah. win the award. Well, when each of them break the touchdown, single season right, rushing right. touchdown. It's kind of hard and no quarterback hard. breaks. Like if, right. if a running back does it, has 30 touchdowns this year – they are going to get MVP. Yeah. But next one. Who led the league in receiving touchdowns last year? Travis Kelsey. Kenny Galladay. Your okay. man. Okay. Kelsey was uh, – Kelsey had he 10. He was right by it, yeah. Yeah. All right. I knew it wasn't uh, Keenan Allen, and I knew it wasn't Michael Thomas either. There wasn't many receiving touchdowns. It was spread out so right. much last it year. Was it was 11 touchdowns. Yeah. So it wasn't crazy. What player has the most receiving yards for a tight end in a single season? In a single season? Yeah. Receiving yards? Yes. For a tight end. It's either... Did Gronk stay healthy enough for an entire year, or is it Jimmy Graham? Jimmy Graham is what I'm going to go with. It was recently set. It's George Kittle. He just said it, not this past season, but the 20, year before. 2018? He had uh, 1,377 yards. Okay. Pushes. All right. So, the last one here. What team was the last team to have different players win consecutive MVPs in you know consecutive years? Which team? Which team, yeah, had consecutive MVPs but were two different players two years in a row? Okay. Well... It hasn't happened in the last 15 years. Oh, I know. Uh, St. Louis Rams with Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner. Yep. All right, there we go. And uh, You know it's going to be a running back and quarterback at that point. <laughs> right. So I was trying to think back a little. I was like, wait a minute, I know that. I thought it might have been the Chargers with Rivers. And- Rivers never won MVP. Rivers will yeah. never win MVP for all you fucking it. dumbass Colts fans out there, and I'm one. He's never fucking winning MVP, <laughs> dumb fucks. Yeah, can you calm down? No, I won't. <laughs> Fuck Phillip Rivers. That's a little excessive. It's not. No, I hope he does well this year. I hope he does well too, but he's not sure. Yeah, the Jets will break his leg. <laughs> this is why we'll never climb in podcasts and no one ever subscribes to us. I didn't say anything. All right, thanks for tuning in. Um, next week we've got 
Um, some big news. We'll announce it later this week. We've got some big time people next week. We have Seattle Seahawks and Tennessee Titan interviews, and then we have another one. He's got quite a bit of following. He's a major podcast person across uh, the country. A lot of you have listened to him. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Like us on any podcast form that you guys have. Give us a review if you can. Give us five stars if possible. Every single thing helps us. You guys have no you guys have no idea how much it means we were able to hit the top 100 in the charts for about a day or two on our podcast for the football subcategory. Which is a big deal for us. Yeah, it's a huge it might deal not be for, for y'all. So, other than that, stay safe. Hopefully your state's not spiking. No, you're going back in it. Back into quarantine, but enjoy your weekend. We'll be back next Tuesday. Happy.